in Colorado. Most of my time, as you'll see in a moment, was spent in California. But uh, I went to see you, as you heard, back in the 70s, and I was a member of this church. This church meant a lot to me. It sent me off to seminary, supported me while I was there. And uh, Dr. Bob Erder was one of my mentors, and, and Bob Sanders, a dear friend, and I worked with him when he was here. I don't know some of you might know that Bob passed away just recently. I had a great memorial for him. And uh, so if you knew Bob, uh, it was a loss, but he's with the Lord and just a, a joy to know him. You heard I love to take some pictures. I'm going to roll through three quick ones here. Uh, just recently took this one and uh, just love to take pictures and share them with people. Let's do another one here up here. And uh, that's the Grand Tetons. Uh, and we'll do one more. And that is on the coast of California. Best, uh, one of the best sunsets I ever saw. That's the uh, lighthouse there, Cambria and uh, Hearst Castle. And uh, I got to spend a year living right there on the coast, had a house looking right out on the water. What a blessing uh, to serve there uh, as a transitional pastor, my last uh, church. Uh, you know, had to suffer for the Lord right there in the coast of California. Let's go here. This is places I served in California. I spent six years in Pennsylvania and then uh, most of the time up in the Bay Area, 22 years. Uh, then came down to my last church that I really served for as a pastor was in the high desert of Southern California, Apple Valley. And then four, number four there, you can see that's where Cambria is, right in the coast. Um, Went to Fuller Seminary, served as an associate, and then went to these churches and been involved in, uh, in PCUSA, and then we formed ECO, which stands for the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. There you go. And it gets confusing. We want it to be the Evangelical Covenant, but it was too close to the ECC, so ECO, we just say, is the Covenant Order, but we kept ECO of Evangelical Presbyterians. All right, so when we get involved here with this uh, great subject, uh, this has just taken over my life really in the last 10 years, but it really was the beginning of my ministry was the Holy Spirit because I was involved in this amazing revival when I was just 15 years old. And it's just carried me through and it's just meant so much to me and it's been part of what I am. So I've written two books about that and these are going to be resources if you'd like to get a hold of them for what I'll be talking about uh, in the weeks to come and this morning. The main one is just called Keep, Keep in Step, as you can see here, Keep in Step with the Holy Spirit. I've got some copies here, don't have too many, I've got more coming in this week. But they're all easy to get on Amazon, you can get them in there, or if you want to, i got a few copies of this, I said more coming for next week. And the second book is called Stand Strong, it's uh, particularly about having the Holy Spirit's help in the midst of temptation. All right, and this one is out of publication, uh, and so if you need copies of this, I still have a number of these. Just let me know. All right, let's dig in this morning. I want you to take a spiritual lifestyle test as we get going. I want you to engage with me for a moment, and. The Bible gives us a list of traits that uh, reveals our spirituality, how we're doing with the Lord. And we find that in Galatians 5, 23 as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. And these describe the lifestyle, if you think of Jesus, he lived these out completely. If you think of his disciples and his followers, his believers that we are, we are to see this growing in our life. This is the type of character we are to have as we live in our relationships every day. All right? Now, I want to focus on a couple of them to take this spiritual test this morning. I want you to think about how patient you are and how much self-control you have. All right? Easy things, right? 
easy things. And I want you to do it in terms of a batting average. You know a batter gets up there and it's based on that thousand percent, uh, thousand scale, right? If you're hitting 200, that means you're getting a hit two out of every time you come at bat. All right. If you hit the 303 out of every time you come to bat. So, so what's your spiritual batting average this morning? All right. Give yourself a batting average for patience and for self-control. Two different scores this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to share these. So you can really be honest. You know, because these are difficult. All right. Uh, I won't ask for a show of hands of everybody who's batting over 500 with patience. Because that really is tough. So be honest there with yourself. The Lord already knows your score. We want to get in touch with Him. Let's talk for a minute about if you're patient, alright? If you're patient, it means you don't lose your temper with someone else. You remain calm even when they frustrate you, misunderstand you, or purposely try to provoke you. It means you let them ask question after question and you don't stop them. It means you'll let another talk and you don't butt in. That's tough to do, right? It means that when people cut you off in traffic, you don't yell at them or blur on your horn and you remain patient. It means if you're married, that you let your wife tell you everything she wants to before you say a word. Or if you have children as a father, you don't raise your voice at your child who just did something wrong for the thousandth time. And you've tried to deal with them over and over and over. How patient are you? Give yourself a score. Or if you're in self-control, you have perfect rule over your desires, over your urges. You can say no to that extra cookie. That, then you limit yourself to healthy moderation in all things. You don't watch too much TV. You don't play too many video games. You have perfectly balanced life where everything has its place. You don't overwork, overplay, oversleep, overeat, overspend, overindulge in anything. You have that balanced life that you keep it together. The right amount of exercise, diet, time at home, time at the office. Temptations don't bother you because you are in self-control. How you doing on self-control? What's your score? What's your batting average? Now, again, in batting average, a 300 hitter or above is a Hall of Fame hitter, right? Usually. So, if you think about that hitter, it means 7 out of 10 times they're making an out. Now, if you want to be patient or in self-control, is that the kind of average you need? Especially when you think that if you get impatient with your wife, your child, your employer, your employee, your girlfriend, whoever you're in a relationship with more than half the time or even half the time or even just have a bad day and you let them have it. One time out of ten. You're batting 900 but that one bad day comes along and you blow up. You can really tear up a relationship, right? I mean, you really need to every day be perfect in that. But none of us are. We all need grace. I sure need it. I have regretted those times when I have just not been patient with my wife. When I have not been in self-control. And it's caused me a lot of problems. This morning, I want to help you get better in your spiritual character. I want to help you grow in your spiritual relationships every day in your circumstances, every day where you are. I want to point the way for you to increase your spiritual lifestyle batting average. 
I want to tell you what won't work, and I want to tell you what will work in very practical ways. This morning, I'm going to set it all up. This is the, the keystone we're going to look at for the rest of the time. Without this keystone, nothing I tell you in the future is going to be any good. But with it, it's, it's the great start that's going to change everything in keeping us growing as the sons of God that we are intended to be. I'm going to tell you the biggest thing we try to do that won't help at all. But I'm going to tell you the best thing we can do that makes all the difference. If you get this, this is, again, the rest of our mornings will be really great. But if you don't get it, we're wasting time. We're just wasting time. And I'm not going to tell you my truth. So I look around here, I don't know any of you in terms of where your car is right now. I can't help you find your car even. What kind of truth do I have then to help you learn to go home and live in your family and live in your relationships, to live in your work, to follow God where you are? Mike Clark's truth won't do any good for you at all. But I'm going to point you to the truth that will. The truth of God. I've dedicated my life to that truth for over 40 years of sharing God's way of living that truth makes all the difference. So let's be real. None of us here will ever get to a thousand percent, you know, hundred percent or batting a thousand rather, in this life when it comes to being spiritual. The amazing news is we'll get there one day. We're going to be living in the eternal kingdom of God when we graduate from this earth. I call it the elementary school of life. We're going to graduate on, and we are going to live in such a way, and I'll talk about this more in a moment, where we will live every moment batting a thousand, never being impatient, always being in control, always loving and joyful all the time. What a life that's going to be, amen? Amen. So here's the big takeaway I want you to know this morning. You and I cannot get better on our own. We can't do it. We cannot manufacture patience or self-control. It doesn't come from here. Counting to ten won't help, or even counting to a thousand. Ever try and do that? You, you go, oh, I've got to be patient, and you start clenching your fist until it just digs in. That won't work. Self-help programs they won't make any difference in our dealing with our addictions, our lack of self-control. Why we humans don't have it within us to be better spiritually on our own won't happen. Not how we were created, not what God intends for us. So what will help? What will help is to understand the source, to tap into the source, to know where spiritual life comes from. Going to look at Galatians 5, 23 again when we see here the fruit of what? The Spirit. Not the fruit of me. Not the fruit even of church. Not the fruit of our traditions, our heritage. The fruit of the Spirit are these traits in our life. We need the Spirit. Without Him, we cannot grow and become the men of God we are intended to become. But the great news is, with the Spirit, we can. We can live in our homes, families, work, wherever we are. And really see these nine spiritual traits growing in our life as we seek the Holy Spirit, fruit, such as patience and self-control growing in our life. So Jesus said it this way, 
How does this happen? How do we tap into that source? Jesus says we must be born again. Literally, actually, the word means to reborn again. To be reborn again from above. So crucial to be a spiritual person of God. Let's dig into this word too. Let's take a look at John 3, 3 to 7. Jesus teaching here about this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see it. That's why we have a hard time talking with those around us in this world about what is so vital to us as followers of Jesus. They can't see it. But they can see us. We're the witness. Unless you're born again from above, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, said Jesus. Nicodemus, a great teacher, one of the ruling council members of the whole Jewish nation, he's saying, what do you mean? How can an old man like me get back into his mother's womb and be reborn? Remember, Jesus is talking to an old man here. So if you feel old this morning, he's talking to you. But if you feel young, he's talking to you too. He's talking to me. How can that old man go back into his mother's womb and be reborn? Jesus replied, I assure you, I assure you, I guarantee, I promise you, listen to this. When we need to hear the bad news before we can hear the good news, right? When we really understand our, our situation, we can seek help. He says, unless, he said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born again, born from above of water and the Spirit. Humans can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Hear that? Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit. We need to tap into that spiritual life with the Spirit. So don't be surprised, says Jesus, when I say, you must be born again from above. Don't be surprised. That's what we need to hear. That's where we need to start. That's the keystone, the cornerstone of our life in Christ. So we know the, the bad news. We just are struggling. We are just frustrated. You know, and these, especially in this last year and a half, it's just forced us into these situations we're not used to at all. And, and we have been struggling. But even without that, before that, when we're living without Christ, we're struggling. And it's not a matter of being religious, Jesus says. It's not your right heritage. It's not being a part of the right church. It's not how many times you attend church. It's not being an elder, a deacon, even a pastor. It's not being a small group leader. It's not a ministry director thing. This is all churchianity. A lot of people do those things without ever knowing Jesus, and particularly without ever drawing on the Holy Spirit. Call that churchianity. Going nowhere. Because it's not relying on the Spirit's power. To be the church God wants us to be. It's not a matter of following the commandments. We can't do that. They're external. 
This birth, says Jesus, is required to even see, let alone enter into the kingdom of God. It's not going back in our mother's room, Nicodemus. It's not that at all. You must be born of both water and the spirit. All right, let me, let me explain it this way. I've got a picture here of the David. How many of you have seen the David in person? And amazingly, any of uh, Michelangelo's beautiful statues are just stunning. They look like they can just start talking and walking. You know, you, you, you look at him, of course, the, the David is like 17 feet tall or something like that. And you, you see that, or the Piata there in the Vatican, or things like that. And you, just, you touch him and you think, wow, this is, if you're allowed, you're not really supposed to. This, is, this looks like it's going to come alive. It's just so real looking, so amazing what this artist has done. And yet, if you can touch something like that, you realize, wait, it's cold. It's just stone. It can't breathe, it can't move, it can't come to life. And this is the type of thing that Jesus is talking about. Can you imagine the David if it suddenly did start to breathe and raised a hand and said, Hey, tourists, look at me. And we started walking and talking and living. I mean, that's the type of jump we're talking about. You know, from stone to physical. And now we're talking about physical to really living on the scale of God's eternal sons that he wants us to be. God wants you and me to become something far greater than we can even ask or imagine. Says Paul in Ephesians. We can't even imagine it. That we can become the very breath of God, born from above to understand the things of God, to live the way God intends us to live, to discover that unique intersection of being human and spirit as God intended from the beginning of creation. Flesh and blood and spirit relating to the eternal spirit of God forever and ever. You know, that kind of life is so exhilarating. This... Uh, Past weekend, the Blue Angels were up in Loveland, Fort Collins area. How many got to see it? Anybody? I was there. I've probably been seeing the Blue Angels 20 times in my life. I get a kick out of the Blue Angels. They just, I mean, they go by and I, I go, and I, I didn't realize my wife was right there. And I go, and I, oh, I punched her by mistake <laughs> just this week. And, and if, for those of you who haven't seen them before, I mean, you got to go sometime. There's six jets up in the sky. They're flying these brand new Super Hornets. And they get going over 400 miles an hour. And four of them stay together and do all these great maneuvers, turns, twists, and coming around. And staying together the whole time. But two of them are called the opposing solo jet pilots. And they get going over 400 miles each. Straight at each other. So combined speed, if they would hit, it would be 800 miles an hour worth of force. And at the last minute, pew, they switch on their sides and they go right by each other. And they keep doing this. Okay, could you imagine the first time this was talked about being done? And the pilots are sitting there, you know. And, and the, uh, the director is saying to them, well, here's, what, well, here's what, what the deal is, guys. This is the show. All right, now you solo pilots, particularly, this is really going to be exciting when you do this. I want you to... Get up to speed, over 400 miles an hour, each of you. And I want you to zoom straight at each other. And at the last second, I want you to flip on your side and go right by. And they say, what? Come again? You want us to do what? But they do it. And can you imagine what that feels like? 
I mean, if you're an adrenaline junkie, there must be no greater adrenaline high than to, to be flying by the seat of your pants, literally is what they say, facing G's forces like crazy. Wow. Man, I'm standing on the ground watching them go by, and I'm just excited amazingly and to see what they're feeling I have no idea no idea anybody who fly fighter jets you don't know either do you I don't know what it'd be like I, mean, I think it'd be so cool a step up to be flying like that over everything and what I'm talking about is even greater what we're talking about Tuesday mornings is even greater that step up into that eternal lifestyle eternal life begins the moment we know Jesus Christ it moves us on to that life God always intended for us to be even greater than the life we would have had if Adam and Eve would never have sinned and fallen from grace in the garden an even greater life Jesus reiterated this way in John 10 I mean, John 1, verses 10 to 13, where we hear this about Jesus. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. It's about Jesus here. He came to his own people. Even they rejected him. Now listen to this, though. To all who believed him and accepted him. So it's not just a mental thing. To all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. How about that? To become children of God. To become here for us today, sons of God. That's what God wants for us. To be reborn. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We like to use the word incarnation. We talk about that with Jesus. In order for us to know who God is, we see God, but how do we see the eternal? He became flesh and lived among us. He walked and talked. We could hear him. We could see him. We could touch him. Our senses could interact with Jesus. He came into this world. And he became incarnation. Incarnate. You know, some of you like uh, chili con carne. You know what that is? That's beans with meat, right? It literally means with meat, con carne. Right? Incarnate from the Latin in the flesh, in the meat, in the bones of our lives. Jesus came and lived among us incarnate to show us God and to show us the life we are to live in God. Not to just say, hey, haha, you'll never do this, but yes, you can. I came to show you this life that I want to give to you. The life I live is going to be yours. If you'll believe in me and follow me in your heart, mind, soul, and strength to love me. So Jesus is the incarnation, but he couldn't stay that way because it's external to us. Again, one of my great mentors was Dr. Bob Erder. A great man. I've always been so thinking of him as I, I was pastoring and what I learned from him, try to be more like him. But I could only take some of his thoughts. I could only take some of his ideas. I was with him a short time. Uh, but, you know, and after that I was on my own. 
He was external to me. Imagine if I could have taken Bob Erder's spirit and said, Dr. Bob, you're right part of me. Alright? So Jesus came incarnation, but externally, and he's, and we're going to read more about this in a few weeks. He says, I've got to go away, it's better. I'm going to send you my spirit so that you can live it out in the flesh. The incarnation becomes ours as the Holy Spirit becomes ours. We can live out the life in the flesh of spirituality in God. We can come back to life that God intended for us. Freed from sinful inclinations and desires. Freed for holy living. You're freed from so you can live in. Live for. Freed for. We need to do that. Given opportunities every day to do right, to glorify God, to be the man he intends us to be. I want to give you three quick uh, Words here. Theological words. Justified means I am reborn from above as I turn to God, believe and accept in Him. I am aware of God's work by the Jesus on the cross in me. I am dead to my life without God. As I repent and turn away from it, I am alive to this new life in the resurrection of Jesus for me, for you. That's who we are. We are justified in Christ, made new, justified, never sinned, but now living in Christ. But secondly, sanctified. That's what's happening now if you have received Jesus. We are being sanctified. Justified is the work of Jesus. Sanctified is the work of the Spirit. To grow and as disciples, to mature as men of God, is the work of the Spirit. So Jesus set it up so we could be freed of our sins, so the Spirit could come live in us, and we can, with Him in His power, tapping into His source, become the people God wants us to be. Sanctified, a result of the work of the Spirit. So we live in testimony to Jesus working in us day by day, in ministry to each other, in mission to this world. We can use the gifts of the Spirit to do ministry and mission. We all find the fruit of the Spirit growing in our life because that's what the Spirit produces in our lifestyles as we tap into Him. But how does this happen? Uh, by the way, just one more thing. This glorified is our future. That's when we won't have to sweat it anymore. That's when getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays will be easy. That's when living with each other will be easy. We will be patient fully. We will be self-controlled completely. We will be glorified when we go to live in God's eternal kingdom. He'll remove all those things that keep us from batting a thousand as a spiritual life. How does this happen, though, right now in our life? Jesus died for us on the cross. And now, as Jesus told us, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple. Here? Want to do that? Here's what you do. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you do. You must deny yourselves and take up your cross daily and follow me. Take it up every day. Live in the work of God on the cross. Realize you are set free 
from spiritual habits and desires and sins. You are set free for living for God's glory and joyful life each other. Remember daily you are now the Son of God representing Him and in each moment you must therefore deny your desire to control your own life, to do it without God, to keep turning now, to remember who you are, keep returning to God every day and say, Holy Spirit, God, the third member of the Trinity, right here with me now, Lead me in my life. Lead me in my life. And so this brings about spiritual birth. Uh, last thing I want to look at here, last verse, and we'll get you into small groups. Acts 2, 36-38. Apostle Peter's really sharing this on the first day, that great Pentecost day, the birth of the church. Let everyone in Israel know for, for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. That was the work of the Spirit. You know, there were spirits there. And they said to him and the other apostles, what shall we do, brothers? How do we respond? Peter replied, you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. So this is how we get the Spirit. Two things we do. We repent. We say, I don't want any more of that life without God. We turn to God. We publicly affirm that through baptism. We do those two things. And what does God promise us in response? Two things. The forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Spirit. Now, most people I know in churches, they know about forgiveness. But friends, what I have discovered over the years is very few people understand that this incredible gift and, and appropriate it in their life of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to grow. That's the work God wants us to be involved with now. The gift of the Spirit to change our lives, to change this church, to change what we are about. To be not human powered, which isn't going to get us anywhere, but to be spirit powered people spiritual life. And it starts with this. It starts with making sure we have committed our life to Jesus and committed and recommitted each day taking up his cross. So if you've done this, then let's recommit together. Amen? Amen. And we're going to learn how to do that. If you've not done this before, let's talk today. I want to share with you and I want to help you make this incredible step to an incredible eternal life in which God is with you in everything that you cannot fail as you, as you follow him and be led by him and be empowered by him in your life. Let's pray about this, brothers. Lord, we do pray. Boy, it is so cool to be here together as brothers. How we can support each other and be focused together on what's going to make the difference in our lives together here on Tuesday mornings. And how that's going to spread into our lives together in this church and what this church is doing. And how that's going to spread into our families and our homes. And then into our neighborhoods and into our towns and in our world. Because renewal happens. I have seen it so many times, Lord. I thank you so much how you have brought renewal into my life. I've seen renewal in churches. I have seen you do things I never thought I could see. And to be a part of that because you are living in and through me. And to see this in our men. And to see this as we can seek this together. Lord, we pray today that we can just abandon all that old way of trying to live life without you. We repent of that. We turn around from that and face in your direction. And we say, Lord, 
we submit. Lord, we are yours. Lord, everything about me is now under your control, not mine. And whenever I take it back, Lord, turn me back again. Turn me to you. Let me love you fully in your love from the Spirit. Let me love my brothers. Let me, let me be your disciple. Holy Spirit, transform my life that I am born again from above. We pray this together and individually, maybe for the first time today, committing our life to you, Lord Jesus, for eternity. Wow. Amen. All right. Word about what we're doing next or you kind of know where you're going. Small group time. Small group leaders. They'll lead you in. Thanks, brothers. Is that sounding good? Okay, thank you, Mike. All right, let's go ahead and break for our small group time. Make sure you're attentive.